today on Soundtrack Alley Spotlight, I'll be discussing Dances with Wolves from 1990. I'll discuss the plot, the characters a bit, and of course the score by John Barry. It's all today, and it starts now. I am your host, Randy Andrews. Today, I'll discuss Dances with Wolves from 1990. The film was directed by Kevin Costner, and it won several Academy Awards, including the Academy Award for Best Picture. Here's the plot for you. A Civil War soldier develops a relationship with a band of Lakota Indians. Attracted by the simplicity of their lifestyle, He chooses to leave his former life behind and be with them. Having observed him, they give him the name Dances with Wolves. Soon, he is welcomed as a member of their tribe and falls in love with a white woman who's been raised in the tribe. Tragedy results when Union soldiers arrive with designs on the land. This film has some very excellent cinematography. It presents the true nature of people during the Civil War, but then also portraying the Indians and even how they were viciously mistreated. The score was by John Barry, who's best known for James Bond, and even, as I've covered on my podcast before, The Black Hole. Kevin Costner knew from the start of production that he really wanted a massive symphonic score for Dances with Wolves. And the film's tribute is to the disappearing western plains. And it required music with a significant scope to accompany that striking scenery. Now, the logical course would have been Basil Palladoris because he had the fame of Lonesome Dove as the television music, and it was set for a standard for that genre. But after being bound to another picture, Palladoris withdrew from Dances with Wolves because of the recording schedule, and it was set to overlap with the ridiculous action flick Flight of the Intruder. Polidorus felt so strongly about his friendship with director John Milas that he abandoned Dances with Wolves only to discover later that Milas' film would be delayed by half a year. And it opened up the entire time in which Dances with Wolves was scored. Such was the inglorious end of Polidorus' best hope of ever capturing an Academy Award. However, In stepped British veteran John Barry, 
who was in the later stages of the prime of his career. And in the late 80s, the composer was already starting to experience some lengthy series of illnesses that largely sidelined him for many projects in the 1990s. But after winning the Academy Award for Out of Africa, he even ruptured an esophagus and later dedicated his score for Dances with Wolves to the doctors who actually saved his life. Now, Dances with Wolves really represents Barry's last attempt, whether he knew it or not, to parade his broad string and simple melodic style to its best. If ever there was a perfect cinematic match for Barry's trademark symphonic romanticism of the 1980s, well, Dances with Wolves was that film. It's a blend of sound and sight that requires music critics to turn off the intellectual sides of their brains because much of it is so simple that to approach the movie, it would frustrate that student of composition. He insists upon repeating different phrases of the theme twice, utilizing static and slow tempos, um, instruments with the same roles in each circumstances, and rarely manipulating or layering his melodic ideas with any technical acuity to all cause a score like Dances with Wolves to make cynics roll their eyes. But this is not a spectacularly complex score, despite the fact that Barry wrote more themes for the assignment than he usually did for other productions. And each theme applied like a mini-movement in a symphony, rarely interacting satisfactory with other ideas or evolving, but keeping form. And so it remains as a classic score by nearly all definitions because of its perfectly tailored emotional appeal in the context of the film. And it has this harmonic resonance on the album, and it's precisely the characteristics that you'd hoped for for John Barry to have this assignment. Now, the instrumentation of the score included, get this, 95 orchestral players and 12-member chorus for the slight dissonant shades during moments of anxious nerves. Now, Barry chose the score from the film's lead, which is John Dunbar, uh, his point of view. It dismissed a recording of the authentic Sioux music, but stuck with his comfortably symphonic approach on the massive scale. The composer's only earlier attempt at Native American music was the film White Buffalo. I have very very good friends that actually loved that movie, and it was by no means a success, but the truth remains that Barry probably would have been incapable of attempting any other style of the score than the one he wrote. And despite the notoriety afforded to the full-blooded orchestral majesty of this score, Dances with Wolves, like many of Barry's scores of the era, were best tempered when toning back the ensemble to simple woodwind melodies over strings 
and harp. The most intoxicating moments actually reflect lovely solo flute performances of sub-themes in this score, and it mixed with an echoing distance for the rest of the ensemble to convey the somewhat otherworldliness of the West of, for Dunbar. Now there's many themes for Dances with Wolves in the score that have a great strength to them, regardless of their inability to mingle appropriately or even evolve over time. The primary identity, which is Kevin Costner's role, John Dunbar, it can reliably be heard in elevators, department stores, anyone who watches American football, um, they'd be able to recognize it during the prolific United Way commercials, which was featured over 10 years. And it was even a favorite tune of Pope John Paul II, and that's interesting. The score opens with an eerie trumpet performance of the theme, and immediately associating with the character's disaffected relationship to the war. It later recurs when Costner's journal reflections and as the highlight of the end credits. Let's hear that now. The lonely arrangement for harmonica rarely, or rather than violins, is a nod to the Western genre's usual tones and the album version of The Buffalo Hunt. Uh, 
it gives us this prior trumpet performance with a bold and victorious tone over lightly tapped snare rhythms. Let's hear an excerpt of that.
Perhaps the most interesting aspect of the John Dunbar theme is the fact that it defies Barry's usual method for operation by not repeating each of its main phrases twice. Instead, it follows a longer lyrical flow, but features no secondary interlude or bridge sequence. Now, after a decade of endless performances and reuses of this primary theme, many listeners are likely to seek out more of the obscure themes of the score for their enjoyment. Another theme that really is highlighted is the love theme. For instance, similarly, it extends from Barry's previous scores. It manages to capture the same grand melodic grace of the rest of the score in more intimate and accessible tones. Heard in Falling in Love, the love theme, and the return to winter camp, as well as in the end title suite, this material only amounts to under 10 minutes in length but it's a satisfying diversion from the score's more muscular inclinations. So let's hear the love theme.
Also serving as a tender interlude is Barry's idea for Dunbar's adopted wolf, Two Socks. In Two Socks, the wolf theme, and Two Socks at Play, he conveys the woodwind lyricism that combines, ironically, the alluring solo flute performances and underlying chord progressions of his love themes for A View to a Kill and Moonraker, which is really surprising. Let's play those two cues.
A theme for the Sioux takes quite some time to develop, though it's initially easy to identify by this slapping percussion underneath its stark brass melody. The mix of the drums in this cue was reprised, not surprisingly, by Barry, almost verbatim in the Scarlet Letter. The actual theme here takes hold in the late cues, highlighting rescue of dances with wolves, and without the percussion in the loss of the journal and farewell. This identity adopts the characteristics of Barry's early 1980s adventure themes and will likely please his collectors. So let's hear this brief suite.
One of the most enduring, frustrating aspects of Dances with Wolves is that one of its seldom referenced sub-themes actually to its finest idea. The journeying theme itself became prolific in its reuse in the public arena along with the John Dunbar theme, in part because of its remarkable horn counterpoint. Its performances throughout Journey to Ford Sedwick also occupied obvious placements in the movie, but it increases its profile. It's more of a generic Barry theme in terms of its repeating phrases and derivative instrumental applications. But some enthusiasts of the score would consider it to be superior to the John Dunbar theme and a singular highlight of the score. Let's hear that now. Several smaller motifs are meant to represent lesser concepts in Dances with Wolves. Perhaps the buffalo motif in Journey to the Buffalo Killing Ground and the Buffalo Hunt. It's the most engaging of these ideas in a bold expression. It resembles the ballsy brass unison of Zulu. The film version of that cue contains an oddly unique middle passage with a theme that is the score's only throwback to Elmer Bernstein's style of old westerns, and it's orchestrated by, get this, Mark McKenzie, uh, who's in a major break as a young composer. Now, I know one person that really appreciates Mark McKenzie's music, and that would be Eric Woods. Eric, for goodness sakes, 
I hope you're listening. Likewise, a spin-off of the Dunbar theme in Ride to Fort Hayes is a pleasant diversion that utilizes the same instrumentation 
as a famous theme, but toys with different melodies over a common set of bass bass product progressions the overall tapestry of melodic ideas and dances with wolves may not well be woven but it hits the right emotional notes in each case let's hear that cue Now, as previously published by Jerry McCulley with great accuracy, there's one that's utilizing Wagnerism with its structure. Barry's main themes recur in magisterial symphonic form. They have become almost subconscious in parts of modern life, uh, utilizing as music and underscore for public events great and small. Barry's skills as an arranger color his themes in subtly shifting orchestral hues, giving even the most repeated melodic passages new emotional weight. Barry summarizes the John Dunbar theme, love theme, and identity for the Sioux in the end credit suite, and the true enthusiasts of the score will recall that pop variations of the John Dunbar and Journey themes were commonplace on the radio airwaves at the time as well. The original recording of Dances with Wolves, conducted by Barry, has endured its own long story on album. The original release that accompanied the film's explosive popularity in 1990 contains all the necessary music for novice listeners and has always remained readily available many years later, 
It achieved astounding sales statistics on par with later digital age favorites like Braveheart and Gladiator, and the gold release of Dances with Wolves in 1995 is one of the string gold-colored releases that has been made available to highly popular best-selling scores of the era. It's a series that eventually included Schindler's List and even Apollo 13. This limited album features three additional tracks of previously unreleased music, none of which appears directly in the film. In 2004, as part of the celebration of Barry's 70th birthday, Sony released Dances with Wolves once again, removing the pop tracks and featuring about 20 minutes of previously unreleased material and alternate versions of famous cues that also been unavailable in original form. The extended material is sprinkled through the album, with a few negligible extra minutes in existing cues. The full film versions of the Buffalo Hunt and John Dunbar theme, as well as an extension of the love theme in Falling in Love, were very welcome additions, however. The 2015 set is the definitive presentation of the score. But no matter which album version you decide to enjoy, Dances with Wolves remains the crowning achievement in Barry's career, and it stands as an epic yet tender score of historical and popular influence for an entire generation. So sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. This has been a real test to see how this format works. I want some feedback. You can email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com. You can comment on the Podbean site. You can comment uh, on iTunes to see how you like this format. Um, Check out soundtrackalley.com. And uh, definitely check me out on social media such as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Check out the podcast through Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I want to thank Alexander Shebel for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. You can find his work at xanderscores.com. And also check out the Amazon link for the soundtrack. To close the show, I'll play the wonderful In Credits by John Barry. And until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. It really helps Soundtrack Alley Spotlight get noticed. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley. If you are an Apple podcast, please give the show a five-star rating. Check out the content over at SoundtrackAlley.com, as well as Cinematic Sound Radio, where most of my new material is posted. If you have a comment, question, or concern, please email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com.